Welcome to The Ride. Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Chris, many years ago, was both a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow. And it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow. He helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Green Private Wealth, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. Taxes. One word that can bring a conversation on retirement planning to a standstill. This is part one of a two-part series in which Chris Jarreau reviews the different sources of income in retirement, government, employer, and personal, how to deal with them, and how to plan with them. I'm Patrice Sakora. So Chris, a lot here. Where do you want to start? Yeah, this is going to be a pretty content rich little series. So I'm just going to, we're going to break it down into two. So the first one today is going to be the first of two episodes in taxes and retirement and what you need to know. And today we'll mostly just be going over kind of really just a review for people just to basically help them understand what types of income can you expect in retirement? How do you have access to them? some of the key components of that, and just kind of summarizing that first, because I have to do that first before we get into the second session, which will be more about identifying like key taxation issues that are common for retirees, and then in introducing a, a few tax efficient strategies for drawing retirement income. So we'll start with the more basic one today, just kind of reviewing the income sources and what they are and how they work. And then we'll get into the more in-depth stuff in the uh, the second episode. So for listeners, you're going to have to invest time for both to really get the most out of this. So the first thing is I got to throw these disclaimers in from the legal departments. Oh, they're always fun. We're going to be dis discussing today the most common types of retirement income and tax challenges they present. And we'll be discussing this in general terms. And I simply hope that I can give some value to people listening today and get them thinking about things and what this information might mean to them and their situation. But as you know, taxes and retirement planning can be extremely complicated and uh, this is not my intention to provide individual tax advice to everyone. Everyone's situation is unique. And for that, you should be re um, reaching out for professional tax advice from an accountant if you really want to get in depth on this. That will make the lawyers happy. That sounds very uh, good. Very comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we get through all that stuff. We'll start with just the retirement income basics here. So there's really three buckets of retirement income sources. So like I said, we'll just start with an overview here of what majority of Canadians will encounter. So there's three categories and the first bucket is government. And what that consists of is things like the Canadian Pension Plan or QPP if you're in Quebec, the old age security benefits, and as well GIS, which we're not going to really get into today, but that's for lower income, uh, much lower income levels but it is technically a component of the old age security program. The second bucket, they'll call it corporate sources of income. And really what that is, is basically employer related income. And this can include things like, well, just exactly that employment income. And that can still be a source in retirement for those continuing to work past retirement age. Or while people become retired, they'll get access to pension plans. Or I was, I was speaking to a, a client of mine yesterday. He's going to have a pension plan from one of his full-time jobs, but still keep working on this part-time job because he wants to do that. 
So it, that's definitely obviously a source and we'll get into the different types of pension plans in a minute. And then severance packages, which typically trigger the transition to retirement once you receive one of those. Although some lucky people are able to take a package of that and then even continue to still keep working, which obviously is great if that option is going to be there. The third bucket, which is the one that we have the most control over is the personal income. And the personal income that's made up of any of uh, the personal savings that's been growing with it without being taxed yet, considered registered accounts like RSPs, RIFs, and Liras, and individual pension plans as well. And these are just the assets that hopefully, if you're close to retirement, in retirement, that you've built over the years for yourself in regards to these personal accounts. So let's just go over the basics of each of these. We'll start with the government bucket. So CPP, most people know what this is, but I'll just do a general overview. It's a mandatory program intended to supplement the retirement income of Canadians. Well, who could, how do you get it? Well, the retirement age, which we'll be talking a little bit about today, is the normal age is, is 65, where you get 100% of it. And this age, you can receive the full benefit and a reduced pension can also be taken as early as 60, or you can boost it up and take an enhanced pension of this after the age of 60, um, but you, can know, you can't go any further than age 70. And it bas basically what it is, it's a, it's a monthly benefit that you'll get depending on when you take it between 60 and 70. And it's, it, it's originally designed to replace about approximately a quarter of the average person's lifetime pre-retirement savings. The currently the maximum pensionable earnings is 64,900 in 2023. And that's just basically the amounts that you are not like beyond that amount. You're not subject to pay those CPP premiums that you see coming off your check. And the start and end dates of CPP is they begin, well, you start contributing to it as soon as you, as you start working and you're over 18 and it ends the earlier of age 70 or when an individual 65 and over elects to stop contributing or of course on death. Now, when to take it. So we're going to talk a bit about this today. The average life expectancy for Canadians, the, the, the funny thing with this is different sources kind of give you different numbers. Um, some say the average age in general is about 83, but but yes, the statistic is still there that males still do pass away earlier. Uh, some resources say that males pass away at 79, females 83. So you kind of know that it's roughly around that. The break even. Now, this tends to kind of screw people up a little bit when you talk about it. Like basically the break even age on if I take it at 60 or at age 65. If you're taking it at age 60, because you can do that, remember the normal, I don't want to say normal age, I guess the age that you get the full benefits is 65. So that's 100% of the pension you get. If you take it before or before at age 60, you're getting about 64% of those benefits. And the break even of that is okay, so if I take it at 60, how much further am I ahead taking it early compared to the guy or girl that waited to age 65? Well, it's you're about 74. So if you take it at 60, you're ahead of the game of the 65-year-old until you're about 74. Once you're 74, the person at 65 now starts to win. So that's where things like life expectancy and that comes into play because if you family has a significant history or you know you have a shortened life expectancy, well, then you're going to absolutely take it earlier. The tax implications for those who take CPP while still working, uh, this can limit the after-tax benefit for workers, especially age 60 to 64, collecting a reduced CPP. 
So you definitely want to do some figuring out in regards to that. This is one of the most common questions we get. Generally, as I mentioned, delaying, or I kind of mentioned about the health, but delaying makes sense for those who don't need the income and they're in good health and have other sources of income that, hey, if you don't, why not just let it still keep getting the bonuses plus it's inflation protection on top of that. So if you don't necessarily need it, yeah, it is definitely an option. Most, when you Google this or talk to people, the consensus for a lot of people is just take it early. Don't just go by that. Um, you definitely want to look into your individual situation and we go through a whole process for this to see if it makes sense. Uh, the average monthly amount paid for someone that's 65 right now is roughly $720 a month. Your situation determines how much you'll receive up to the maximum and where you can find out to get an estimate of this, your monthly CPP amount is by logging into your My Service Canada account. For anyone that hasn't gotten that, even if you're not really good with the technology, I highly recommend going on online and getting registered for your My Service Canada account because it can just help you. And uh, there's a lot of useful information there for sure. The taxation, so it's fully taxable in the hands of the recipient. It's included in, it's just taxable income in the year that you get it. It's not eligible for like CPP benefits don't qualify for the $2,000 pension income non-refundable tax credit or pension income splitting. You can split CPP, but we'll get into that a little bit later, but it doesn't fall under the pension income splitting component. It's basically 100% taxable because the earned income used to pay those CPP premiums hasn't been taxed yet, just like RSP contributions. So let's. I just want to touch on this one more time, Patrice, because like I said, people, the biggest question we get by far is when do I take this? So eligible CPP contributors, they can start drawing, as I mentioned, at 60 and anytime up to 70. Early pension deduction is 0.6% for every month the pension is taken before age 65. So any year before age 65, you're losing about 7.2%. This totals a 36% deduction in the pension if you take it at age 60. The late pension take it, which is any age over age 65, there's an increase of 0.7% per month that the pension is taken after age 65, so up to age 70. And that's basically an 8.4% increase per year after age 65 for every year that you wait, which means you could bump it up by potentially 42%. It's not taken to age 70. And I just touched on the break even, the whole break even point in that. But that's, that is one of the biggest questions uh, we get. I think it also comes down to the question, as you mentioned earlier. How long do you think you're going to live? Yeah, there's there's so many there's so many things around that. Like some people are like, well, if the government's going to give it to me, I'm mm -hmm. taking it now. And then there's others that are like, well, if I don't need it and it's going to keep increasing, as I just mentioned there, like it it's going up by um, the seven the seven percent per year after age sixty five. If you wait that long, sorry, it's going up eight point four percent per year. If you wait after age 65, well, you got to keep in, in mind too, like that's the increase, but there's also, it, CPP also has inflation protection on it too. So each year that you wait, you get the bonus and then the inflation protections on top of that higher amount, you can see how that kind of starts to add up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it'd be a very easy question to answer if we knew how long everyone's going to live. So that's just <laughs> yeah. kind of where you have to figure that out. But I'm going to stress again, don't just Google this and go by what everyone else says. You, you want to talk to someone to put... All your fact, and this is when we get into tax planning with the next episode that we get a little bit more in depth than that. All right. Sounds good.
old age security. So what is it? Well, it's a federally funded social security program designed to supplement the incomes of low and middle class Canadians is the textbook answer. As I mentioned, it includes the OAS, the GIS, and even the survivor's allowance is all tied into that program. Currently, the age that Canadians can get this is 65, and that's at the time of this recording. A lot of uh, public pension plans across the world are increasing the age due to life expectancy. So there's talks of changes in that there. So OAS, is, it's available to all Canadian. So when I keep saying OAS, people, obviously it's old age security, uh, is available to all Canadians who meet the minimum residency requirements. So you don't actually pay a premium for this. The requirement is on residency. Uh, so you're not paying anything directly off your paycheck for this. And this is a form of retirement pension. And it's basically the benefit is determined by how long the person's lived in Canada. And the it, it basically can range from $551 to $916 a month, depending. So now I'm just going to get into the taxation of it. And basically, it's the same thing. All the benefits are included in income the year that you take it. You have to obviously be a Canadian citizen on the day that you put your application in. If you're no longer residing in Canada, but you were a Canadian citizen or a legal resident the day, proceeding the day that he or she no longer lived in Canada, you, there's still potential there. You must have resided in Canada for a minimum of 10 years after reaching the age of 18 to get anything. And minimum of 20 years of residence in Canada is required to receive the pension outside of Canada. Now, the thing about OAS, that you, especially with our retirement clients, um, is because a lot of them are higher income, is they hear the word clawback a lot. And the reason for that is that this clawback, it exists to prevent high income earners in retirement from collecting old age security since the program is really more intended for middle to lower income retirees. So every dollar that you earn over $87,000 in 2023 reduces your OAS by 15%. Um, if you hit $147,000 of income, your OAS is gone. So that's just when we're doing retirement income planning and all that, this is an example of how doing that type of planning can help save you on that old age security. And uh, of course, getting access to your savings without having to forego the whole thing or having it all clawed back. And that's just another thing that we'll go through in the second one. Okay. So the next bucket is the employment income and really working in retirement this is a growing phenomenon. Many There's many reasons why people are working now longer in retirement. One we've already touched on was life expectancy, which is a good thing, is just simply increased. Also, the elimination of pension plans or reduction of pension benefits, moving towards more toward defined contribution plans versus defined benefit, lack of savings, all this stuff is a reason why people are just starting to work longer in retirement. And even if you're partially retired, only working part-time, no matter the reason, having earned income, it it can significantly lessen the stress on your assets, obviously. So the less stress you have on your assets, the more time they're going to have to grow. And there's many studies now showing that it's actually healthy for retirees to work part-time and they're seeing increased life expectancy. Now, of course, as long as you like your job. But yeah, so anyways, some benefits there. Okay, so now we're going to get into as retired registered pension plans. I'll touch on two of the most common ones are defined benefit pension plans and defined contribution pension plans. The defined benefit pensions are more for government workers, firefighters, police officers, teachers. Those besides in the government, they're in the private sector. They're really making the way of the dinosaur type thing and being extinct uh, just because there's just too, they're too expensive and too much liability on the employer. So uh, they're getting rid of 
a lot of those defined benefit pension plans. Defined contribution pension plans are more popular uh, in the sense that it's not as much pressure on the employer, not as much liability. They're more portable because nowadays too, people tend to switch jobs a lot more than they did 20 years ago. Uh, and once again, those are also fully taxable. Taking income from these pension plans, it just depends. You can transfer them out, the commuted values. You can start taking like a defined benefit pension plan. You'll start taking it with your best potentially five years. There's formulas for that. Um, you can also just move some of these into an annuity if you wanted to. And it just is in exchange for a lump sum of money and a financial institutions to give you a series of regular payments for a period of time. It's the payments determined by like the amount that you deposited, interest rates, the time, your age. They till, still take into consideration your sex because of, as I mentioned, females still have a, lo a longer life expectancy. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much all I had in regards to the registered pension plans. So the next thing I was going to talk about is severance. There's not really a whole lot to talk about there. They're tax of it benefits. They're completely taxable when you take them. They're awfully large sums. They can create significant tax events. So if you know you're getting a good size severance, you are definitely going to want to have a chat um, to see what the options are, such as do you have a rollover, which means that you can just simply uh, directly roll it into a retirement account. And if you were part of an employer, there's these pre-1996 rules where if you don't have enough of your own RSP room, that you might have extra room because you were you have years of service. This is really important actually for people that are getting severances. That if you worked before 1996, you will you could potentially have two thousand dollars of extra year a room in your RSP per year up to 1996, which will help you shelter some of this. So it's important to definitely look into that because some people, when they get these severances, they're great. But if you don't have an a RSP room to shelter the whole thing, well, it's now 100% taxable income. So you just have to make sure that you're aware of that. The last bucket, Patrice, is just the personal income bucket. And um, RSPs, we have RSPs, we have TFSAs, we have non-registered investments, those three areas. And for the RSPs, most people know what they are. They're designed to just basically help you accumulate wealth in your retirement planning years before you retire. The biggest thing it gives you is deferral of income tax. So the savings of the RSPs, they grow tax sheltered until the income's withdrawn. And the contribution room, which you can always find on the previous year's notice of assessment. So the deadline this year is March 1st. And for anyone that wants to contribute for the previous year, last year, they can go on their notice of assessments and see how much RSP room they have. If you're wondering where that comes from, it's 18% of the taxpayers earned income up to a maximum for 2022 uh, to 29,210. So whatever amounts lower out of those two, that's the one, that's how much RSP room you have. Unlike pensions, the money in RSPs can be withdrawn actually at any time. You don't have to wait. Withdrawals are fully taxable. Once you get to age 71, hopefully you got all your tax planning in, a, in, in, in line because now it's being forced out. Now at age 71, the following calendar year, 72, you have to be, it's starting to get pushed out the minimum amount and it has to be obviously converted to a RIF to do that. Tax-free savings accounts, they are important to have in retirement as well. They're, they're funded with after-tax dollars. Uh, last year, or this year, sorry, the contributions actually went up 500 bucks. So it's now $6,500 a year, but you're allowed to put in. 
compared to 6,000. Anyone that was over the age of 18 in 2009 and you don't have a TFSA, you have up to $88,000 a room in these TFSAs, which is a lot of room and is a very big asset to make to have access to because there is no... We know there's no tax on it, but I'm going to say it again because it's so important to have money in these things, especially with the increased taxation that we currently have and what's what's going to be coming in the future. So you got to be taking advantage of these and you want to make sure that you're invested in something that's going to make you a good return, of course, applicable to your risk level and time horizon. But why I'm mentioning that is because a lot of people, they get TFSAs. The institution that they're at just puts them in a high interest account, meaning they're earning whatever, two, three, four percent, which is higher now because the interest rates are actually better. But still, it's tax-free. If you're making two, three percent completely tax-free, not going to really change your life versus if you're getting a, a much better rate of return consistently over the long term, compound in a tax-free environment, that starts to become a pretty attractive asset in retirement. The last bucket is non-registered investments, which it's the most flexible. There's no, you can pull it out whenever you want. There's no contribution limits. You can't put too much in it. The income is taxed yearly on interest and dividends and even potentially possible capital gains, even if you don't take money. Because I know some newer investors over the years are like, wait a sec, why am I getting a tax slip? I didn't pull any money out. Well, it's because you get taxed on, on components of it yearly. It just means that you're not going to pay tax in that portion again, but even though you're not pulling it out, you do, you will have to pay some tax on it. But yeah, so I try to get through that as painfully or painless as possible. That's fine. Well, that's fine. Yeah, painless as possible. So that was just a really good general review on the different buckets and in income and retirement. And that kind of sets us up for the next one, Patrice. Well, there is so much in there, Chris. Really, really a lot of questions, I'm sure, raised in some listeners' minds. So how can listeners reach you if they want to talk? Through you can reach us through reach me through LinkedIn. You can reach me through our Facebook page, which is Green Private Wealth, or the website, which is greenprivatewealth.com, and go to our team page or contact page, and you'll get be able to get a hold of me there. All right, listeners, don't miss part two of this discussion. This is only part one. Follow Chris's <laughs> podcast to make sure you know when it's ready for you, and please share with friends and family. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.